So as we kick off this school year for all of us who are in school, and I know there are some of us who have finished school and yet Labor Day marks a new season in life. The pumped PSLs are coming out of Starbucks and the, and the cardigans are coming out as well. And as we kick it off, and whether we're freshmen, about to start college, wide-eyed, uh, I'm, I'm gonna sit in the front of the class and I'm gonna get all these. Continue to lie to yourself like that, or, uh, or you're a grizzled senior, and you're, you're like, I don't even go to this class, I don't even go to this, you know, unless you're Stephen. Uh, but <clears throat> whoever you are, there is much to be hopeful for, and much to look forward to, because a new school year, the cycle, as much as we dread it, we also kind of, we're kind of into it, right? So don't kid yourself, okay? Because a new school year means a new round of opportunities. Another few cracks at achieving the goals and meeting the expectations you've set for yourself. But we all know, especially those who have been in school for a while, such as myself, who's still in school, I'm still in seminary, uh, we all know full well how grindy the school year can get, how long and winding the semester seems. 17 weeks if you're going to Rutgers, 12 if you're going to Westminster Theological Seminary. It's so long, so grindy, and you're just like drudging away, and then all of a sudden, it's December, and finals feels like someone's slinging a bag of bricks in your face. And so, in a matter of months, you're, you're going through a whole wave of emotions. You're going through boredom, and you're going through absolute terror. You're going through the joys of meeting new people, and then you're going through the absolute anger that the people living near people can cause. Okay, so I'm just gonna warn you right now, roommates, great, but also not. And we're, we go through this up and down this semester, and we know it's not just for a semester, it's for a year. For the rest of our lives, we'll, we'll encounter the highs and the lows of life. And when we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what Jesus has done, it offers us, or, sorry, I'm talking about megaphones, but it, the gospel of Jesus Christ offers us reasons, and a reason, to rejoice in the mundane and the day-to-day -day grind of life. And it also, at the same time, offers us supreme peace and comfort when chaos and tumult reign. And so whether you're bored by life and things just, you just kind of be, you're just kind of chipping away at life, or whether your mind and heart is racing a million miles a second, the gospel has something to offer you. And indeed, the good news of Jesus, the gospel freely offered to you and me, is a treasure that we must cling to. It is a great treasure we must cling to. Indeed, if we understand the gospel, the good news, as the treasure that it is, we won't be able to help our clinging to it. It's just going to be natural to us, maybe supernatural to us, that we hold on to this good news. You know when, you, when you're walking through a sketchy neighborhood and you, you know, kind of hold on to your things just a little tighter, you know, and you're like, don't judge me, but uh, I'm going to hold on to this just a little bit. You know, hold on to your iPhone. <clears throat> or when you're trying to grab an LX 
four o'clock on College Ave. You know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you will. <laughs> Ever try to get on, Alex? Four o'clock. And then when you finally get on, squeeze your way through the mass of bodies and sweat, and you grab that end more. <laughs> you ain't letting go. That is the treasure of the gospel. <laughs> That's the, the filthy, sweaty LX handlebar. And I hope that we all think about the good news of Christ every time we get on that freaking bus. Um, but that's, that's, the, that's the sort of mentality that the gospel should uh, bring about in your life. It is a treasure. It is good news. It is something worth holding on to. And what makes it such a treasure? What makes the gospel worth holding on to? For seven chapters, and now going into the eighth, the Apostle Paul has been writing to the Romans about the free gift of grace given to those who put their faith in Christ. For those who are in Christ, as Paul writes in the first verse of this chapter, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. There is no threat of condemnation. It is absolutely gone. And this is that great doctrine, and I know doctrine is a scary word for a lot of us, but it is a great doctrine, it is the great dogma, the great belief that was restored to the church during the Reformation, which is justification by faith alone through grace alone. I got that backwards. Justification by grace alone through faith alone. And we've been talking about this term, justification, for the past four weeks. Justification, what does that mean? It means being made right. Being made right before God. Because if there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, those who are outside of Christ, that means there is condemnation. And so, such were some of us. Such were all of us. And yet, because we are in Christ, there is no more. And there is no more condemnation. And now we are justified. We are made right before a holy God. A lot of us who have grown up in church know the first part of what Paul says in Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But many times we miss the second part. Verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Yes, we have sinned. Yes, we have fallen short of the glory of God. But there is hope for us because we are justified. Why? By His grace as a gift. As Paul also says in Ephesians 2, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, not but we did a good thing, not but we obeyed right and so we got to this place, not uh, we believed the right things and said the right words, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him, 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches, this treasure of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is what we mean by being made right with God, being justified before God. I love the way that Alistair, uh, Alistair Begg, he's a, he's a famous pastor in Ohio, uh, coming by way of Northern Ireland. Uh, but I love how he once famously preached about justification. And you can look this up on YouTube. It's one of those uh, famous Christian clips. But he says this. He preaches this. Without the preaching of the cross, the cross that God, uh, the, pro the cross of Jesus, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to a faith plus works as the grounds of our salvation. And so to go to that old question, if you were to die tonight and you were at the gates of heaven and you were trying to get in, what would you say? If you die tonight and you were at the gates of heaven and they asked, why should we let you in, what would you say? And if you answer that, and if I answer that in the first person, we've immediately gone. If we answer that question because I... Because I believed, because I have faith, because I knew I go to church, because I know the right answers, because I'm continuing in this faith. If the answer is in the first person, we have gone wrong. Because, loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person. Because He, because Jesus, because God. And Pastor Beck continues. Think about the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. Jesus died. Three crosses. There were thieves, thieves on his left and his right. And Alistair Beck says, I, I can't wait to find this guy, this thief on the cross. I can't wait to find him when we meet in heaven. Because how did this, how, how did this all work out for you? Because you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You were cussing out Jesus with your friend. How? You've never been in a Bible study, you've never been baptized. You've never confessed your sins. You don't know a thing about church or church membership. And yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? And so that's probably what the angels said to him at the gates of heaven. What are you doing here? I don't know. <laughs> well, what, do you, what do you mean you don't know? I don't know. But, but, all right, let me, let me get my supervisor. Then the supervisor angel comes around. He's like, okay, all right. We've got a few questions for you. First of all, are you clear on the doctrine of justification? Never heard of it in my life. Okay, all right. So what about the doctrine of Scripture? And eventually, in frustration, that supervisor angel goes, on, then what, on what basis are you here? On what basis should we let you in? And he says, I don't know, but a man in the middle cross said I could come. A man in the middle cross said I can come. The fascinating thing about justification, no matter how many times I define it, you don't actually need to know what justification means in order to be justified. 
You ever see those, uh, I never know, I was going to talk about YouTube shows, but <laughs> sometimes people do things and it turns out great, but they don't know why it turns out great. That is, such, that is what grace is like. That's what faith is like. You don't even know, you don't actually need to know how it works. You just need to know that it works. We are justified not because of what we do or don't do, not because of what we know or don't know, but because of what Jesus has done. And because Jesus knows us and knew us before the foundation of the world. And we are justified, we are saved, we are made right, made right before a mighty, awesome, holy God because, as the song goes, my, the sinless Savior died and my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That is the scandal of grace. That is the scandal of the gospel. That God looks at Jesus and then turns and says, you're free, you're saved, you're right. And so when we come to Romans 8.4, where we read, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is that gospel. Because why? This train of thought comes first. Uh, it, it, it is a continuation from verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. So this is the first of three. So that was my intro. This is, I, I swear that I, I promise you the points are really short. So... <laughs> So on what basis are we justified? Are we saved? Are we made right before God? It's because, as verse 3 says, Jesus fulfilled the law for us. There was a great requirement of the law. It required much of us. It required perfect obedience from us. And it was an opportunity for us to be made right with God on our own merits, by our own work. But we could not do it. And we cannot do it to this day. We, it, it is impossible for one to obey the law fully and completely. And yet Jesus, he came in the flesh, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And to fulfill it perfectly. In a way that we never could. Because the law condemned us. Because the law pointed out our every flaw. Here's where you're going wrong. Here's where you're falling short. Here's where you can't measure up. It condemned us. The requirements of the law were too lofty for us to reach. And, I'm not, and, and yes, it's specifically talking about the law of God. But think also about the law that is placed upon you by, in every facet of your life. The law that is placed upon you by your parents. The law that is placed upon you by your academics or your own expectations for your career. The law that is placed upon you by society and popular culture. These are laws that we simply cannot live up to. And yet, though they were too lofty for us to reach and too heavy for us to carry, Jesus, coming as a man, he bore the requirements of the law perfectly. For us, they were too heavy, but to him, it was too light a thing. For us, it was too high, but he has brought it low. And so Jesus fulfilled the law for us, point number one. Number two, in order that the law would be fulfilled in us. Jesus fulfilled the law for us, 
in order that the law would be fulfilled in us. Here's one of the reasons why we're going verse by verse in Romans 8. Because Paul uses a lot of connecting words. You'll notice in pretty much the entire book of Romans, but in Romans chapter 8, you'll notice the word for a lot, for this. Or he'll say, in order that, this. He has a lot of connecting, uh, coordinating conjunctions, okay, as I learned in school. Okay? And you can't, so you cannot miss the first three words of Romans 8.4. There's tremendous weight here, right? In order that, right? Jesus came, right? Paul says that first. In order that, in order that what? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Okay? So let's, let's step back for a moment and think about the absolute weightiness of what those three words mean for us. In order that means... That our justification, our salvation, our being made right before God, it's not simply a result of Jesus' mission and death. It's not simply a natural consequence to what happened. As if we were just kind of a side effect of this drug that's called crucifixion. In order that, the Greek word hina, what it means is that it's not simply a result, it is the purpose it is the reason. What I'm trying to say is that our being made right before God, our having a relationship with God, was the very reason, the very motivation, and the very purpose of Jesus' mission and death. It's not a side effect consequence, but it's the whole reason. And so what we need to take away from those three words, in order that, means that you are not a side project for God. You're not a throwaway thought for God, but you are, the, you are of the eternal and intentional and purposeful love of God. God loves you, not, not just because he has to, but because that was, the whole, that was his whole mission, that was his whole thing. You are not a side project. His purpose, the very purpose, God again, God's purpose is to have a relationship with you. And even this fact, even the fact that God wants to have a relationship with you, and that God sent his son to have a relationship with you, and to save you not as a, as a side effect of what Jesus has done, but because it's the very meaning and purpose for what Jesus has done, even this is not rooted in who you are, but it's rooted in who God is. Because God is Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. See, all of us, at one point, we were, we, we, there was a point in time when we did not have any relationships at all. Okay? Uh, yeah, we had a little umbilical cord and we were connected to our mother, but there was no relationship, right? My wife is pregnant now, and as much as I, uh, as much as I look forward to the birth of my son, right? Like, I don't know anything about him. I don't have a relationship with him. And so, um, like, obviously, I'm happy about it. Obviously, I'm looking forward to him. But he, he's, there, you know, I can't wait to meet him. That's what I'm saying. Okay? And yet, God, who exists eternally in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, the Trinity blows my brain, hopefully it blows your brain, don't really understand it. But that means the persons of the Trinity have been in an intimate fellowship, an intimate relationship from eternity past. And what that means is that... A, have love 
and relationship and fellowship is not simply things that God does. All right? When we talk about church, we're like, oh, we're going to go fellowship after service. Right? But that's not a thing that God does. It is inherent and essential and basic and fundamental to who God is. When John says in his, in his letters, God is love, he's talking, big word, he's talking about the ontology of God, who God is in his being. It's not simply we popped up and then he saw us and he goes, oh, there's a strange new emotion I'm feeling. I think it's love. I love you guys. No. God has known love because he is love. He has experienced it in the Trinity. And it is this love that is given to us and in us because Jesus is in us. Because, because God, because of what Jesus has done by fulfilling the law perfectly on behalf of us, now God has a relationship with us. And because he has a relationship with us, a relationship that is founded upon who he is as eternal triune God, because of that, he shares with us good things. He shares with us good gifts. But more importantly, he shares himself with us. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If this God, who exists in triunity, eternally loves himself and has fellowship with himself, and he has given himself to us, and now Christ dwells in us, that means God's eternal love and favor is upon us and in us. And if that is true, now the law can be fulfilled through us. You see, Jesus fulfilled the law for us so that, uh, so that the law would be fulfilled in us, in our relationship with him. And now the law can be fulfilled through us. Because if the requirements of the law have been fulfilled for us, and the one who fulfilled them, Jesus, dwells in us, then it is possible for us to know and experience true peace, lasting rest, and blessed hope. And not only are those things, true peace, lasting rest, and blessed hope, not only are those possible for us, but it is inevitable for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to to the Spirit. We're going to flesh out what walking according to the Spirit means in the coming weeks. But here's what that means for us just very quickly. When we walk according to the flesh and we walk outside of this relationship with Christ, our MO, our, our operative statement is this. Do this and live. Or do this and you will be happy. Do this and you will be fulfilled. And so what happens if you can't do it? Or what happens when you do it and you're not actually happy? And you're not actually fulfilled? And therein lies the hopelessness of a world that cannot answer, give us any answer beyond, I don't know. But when we walk according to the Spirit, we walk according to the Gospel and the Good News, the gospel is this. You already live. 
You live. You are loved and you are accepted. You are forgiven. You have been brought into a covenant relationship with your Father and Creator. And so, because you live, live like you're living. Live like you're an alive person. That is the MO of the Christian. That is the mission statement of the Christian. Because God has breathed life into us through His Son, Jesus Christ, we can now live and live in peace, live in hope, and live in rest. We have, we have two choices this school year, to live according to the flesh, to live according to the Spirit. Yet, through Christ, who lives in us, who has fulfilled every requirement of the law, it is not only possible, but, is, but it is inevitable for us to live and walk according to the Spirit. It doesn't mean things are going to be perfect all the time. It means that we are walking. And so... <clears throat> John and Stephen come up. Let us live, starting now, but as we begin this new school year, begin this fall, and begin a new chapter in our lives, let us live as though we are clutching onto a great treasure, a treasure that has been bought for you freely by the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us live as though we have a knowledge of a very simple gospel, that says very simply, the man in the middle cross said I could come. Let's pray.